You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills, and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much was being sourced overseas, and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that are still making in the UK. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in Britain, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be chatting to inspiring British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering advice to product-based businesses that make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode number 259 of the Make It British podcast. On today's episode, it's something a little bit different for you. I have got Tamara Zinzik, who is the founder of Think Tank Fashion Roundtable, back onto the podcast. Now, you may remember Tamara if you are a regular listener to this show. She came on back in January 2020 talking about the skills issue that was potentially going to happen post-Brexit. Well, I got a phone call from Tamara this weekend, just gone, saying, Kate, you need to listen to the radio. There's Clooney Lace on there. They're the last manufacturer of lace left in England, making Nottingham Lace. They're saying they're in terrible trouble. They may have to close. It's all because of Brexit. So I thought I'd get Tamara back on the show today to talk about our thoughts about what's happened to Clooney. Because since I posted about Clooney's plight on our Instagram, there's been an outpouring of support for their business. No one wants to see a heritage manufacturer like Clooney Lace having to shut down. So I got Tamara on the show today to discuss the issue and to see what could be done and how this even happened in the first place. So here you go. Let's go over to my chat with Tamara from Fashion Roundtable. Thanks, Kate. So my name's Tamara Dinjik, and I set up Fashion Roundtable November 2017, and it came out of um, an awareness through my background in the fashion industry. I've worked as a fashion stylist and editor and with brands um, really since the early 90s. and uh but I've also worked in parliament and it was while I was working in parliament which was uh during the time that the the negotiations with the EU and the UK were at their height that it became really really obvious to me that other sectors were really engaging with parliament and government and that meant that they were getting better outcomes for their sectors and it was actually working in a different industry that made me really realise I'm a fashion person through and through. And I think it's a brilliant industry. Um, and what is pertinent to the topic of what we're going to talk about is that I've actually got heritage in it. So although my name sounds very um, foreign, I'm actually half English as well as half Turkish. And on my English side, my great-grandmother worked as a couturier tailor um and all of my kind of matriarchal family were amazing at making clothes knitting crochet they were craftswomen really and my mother used to make me clothes we literally would go to Truins in Watford which was part of the John Lewis partnership and buy the pattern and the fabric that night and then I'd get a dress the next morning that was how I was brought up 
that kind of textiles side is, is woven into my English heritage or my British heritage because my my great grandmother was actually half Welsh, as as long as well as my Turkish heritage, where obviously it's part of the culture. So it's just woven into both sides of my heritage, and you know these are skills which are part of uh, our DNA wherever we come from, and I think that we are losing them at pace. And once they're lost, they can't be brought back, which is why I'm so glad we've done this kind of emergency podcast, Kate. Well, exactly. So I got a message from you on Sunday going, Kate, you've got to listen to the radio, Broadcasting House, BBC Radio 4. There's a chap on there from Clooney Lace. He says he's going to be, he's potentially going to go out of business. He's down to four staff because of Brexit. And it's not like you didn't warn everyone. And, and the outpouring of support for this lace company. I mean, to explain a little bit more about the situation, because I've dug into it a little bit more, um, the issues particularly that they have around Brexit is the fact that 50% of their business pre-Brexit was to France. And I can understand that because they're making top-end lace, the couture houses in Paris, it's much sought after. And they're also doing their dyeing in France as well. So they're having to ship the lace to France and then bring it back again. I would imagine that's because we're so short on late, on dyers in the UK. Presumably before we left the EU, the fact that they had to kind of double dip and that they had to take the lace to France, dye it and then bring it back wasn't a problem. No, but obviously that's yeah. something that's happened because of the textile industry in the UK already being decimated. I mean, this business, clearly Lace have been going for since 1730. The guy running it is ninth generation of his family. And of course, oh, he doesn't I mean, want to lose My it. hairs are going on and just thinking about that, that's heritage. That is living history. Um, so I take it his family were Huguenots originally that had came here ironically from France. Probably were, yeah, I yeah. would imagine. So, yeah, along with the silk weavers in East East London. So, this is part of the of the living history of the textiles and fashion industry of the UK, and it is an interwoven, interconnected global conversation. We can all have um, ideals of working towards more localized supply chains, but um, industry, the Silk Road was built based on silk coming from China through other territories, including Turkey, to the UK and and all the spices and foods. And that's why, quite frankly, English food is a lot better than it used to be. You know, it's because of those spices and those different flavours and and textiles is exactly the same. Um, The 19th century and all the, you know, the uh, paisley that you got as a consequence of of being in India, I, I, I don't think it can be... Um, under-exaggerated, how important all of this is. I mean, for me, what um, Clooney Lace should be is it should be something that the government is intervening on because it is the last of what is a massive heritage in Nottingham of a certain kind of lace making. I just, If this was Belgium, where they're very proud as well of their lace making, in the Flemish side of Belgium, they, this would have been there would have been an intervention. I just don't understand why we're letting these things slide out of our hands. You know what? I've been running Make It British since like the last twelve years, and up until Brexit, everything was looking like the demand for UK manufacturing was going up. UK manufacturers were feeling really confident. Everything was going really well, and now with a combination of Brexit, the lockdowns. 
and also the cost of living crisis. A lot of them are feeling really nervous, but more importantly, they're feeling really unsupported. And that's why I wanted to get you on the show, because I know you do a lot of work in your in your various roles as all party. Actually, I need to get that right. Tell us exactly what your role is. So we are the secretariat for the all party parliamentary group for ethics and sustainability and fashion. We were running two all-party parliamentary groups, the other being textiles and fashion, and we um, are now running just the one. I say just the one, it's really quite a lot of work. Tomorrow we're doing an event um, with Labour Behind the Label to promote um, awareness around the 10th anniversary of the Rana Plaza uh, catastrophe that happened in Bangladesh where garment workers were uh, murdered um, by a fire that broke out in an unsafe garment factory. Um, and where it became a lot more um, newsworthy that people could see the complexity of the supply chains because lots of brands were making in that factory and it was very hard due to the convoluted supply chains. But when you look at somewhere like Clooney Lace, just to track back to then, that's a completely different kettle of fish. That is heritage, highly skilled, incredible output factory. And I think it's a tragedy that Brexit is getting in the way of business again and again um, ideology is getting in the way of logic and of course the eu would be our largest trading partner because they're on our they're on our doorstep we have a shared history we have a shared body identity we have a shared body sizing quite often we have locality um, and of course we would have built up these massive trading infrastructures with them going back centuries i mean france obviously going back to you think of louis Quatorze and the sun king in versailles of course the man was dripping in lace i mean <laughs> <laughs> you know like of course we would be looking at the couture houses to elevate the the opportunities for our lace but i would imagine now they're going to belgium which is an hour on a train away exactly some of the comments that I have received, so I've, we've been um, raising the, the, the awareness and the plight of Cluny Lace since you told me about it. Um, a reel that we did on Instagram has had like such amazing support from other small yeah. businesses reaching out and saying, we're in exactly the same situation. The same thing has happened on LinkedIn. I mean, I'll read you out just some of the comments yeah, that people have do. been saying. Things like, Brexit has given many foreign businesses an excuse to make it seem a bit of a waste of time bothering with us. And that was from someone that works in the motoring industry. Um, we've had someone else saying the government has 100% killed our manufacturing entrepreneurs and innovation. Um, someone here saying they're a new startup of sustainable delivery robot manufacturers, which is like an amazing, I mean, that's what the industry needs. We are battling tooth and nail for funding, investment and grants. Yet foreign competitors can get backing so much more easily and even from our own government. And then someone else who's a footwear designer has said she stopped prototyping in the UK because of increased costs and because most of the components were imported. And I think this does go round to... If we hadn't have had the issue where we'd lost so many of our skills in the 80s and 90s and the, our supply chain had not been so fragmented, it wouldn't have been such an issue. So we'd still have all the dye houses here. So Clooney would probably, I, I don't know exactly when, and I'm trying to find out, when they started sending their lace to France to be dyed or whether that's already ha always happened. But we've lost so many of the dye houses, all the other parts of the infrastructure, which has made Brexit 100% worse because I don't think 
the current government realised the complexity of supply chains, particularly for small businesses. It's very different, I think, for a lot of these small businesses. The average UK textile manufacturer employs less than 10 people. They don't yeah, have so a lot of spare SME. staff. Yeah, they're t- micro businesses. And the paperwork, and someone said it's 180 pages worth of paperwork to wade through to deal with importing and exporting to France and the rest of Europe now. So you can imagine from their point of view that, you know, we're one country and they're 27. Why would they bother with us? Exactly. Uh, this, I think this goes to, so there's two points really to comment on. One, I think is Brexit was massively badly handled, actually. Um, there was ideology got in the way of logic, as I've said before, but I think it got to the point where um, because there was so much uncertainty because of the way that Brexit was handled, because it was so emotionally charged of like, how could you want us to remain versus how could you want us to leave? What, you know, that the, it became a very toxic environment where people were not thinking logically, um, that, that business was scuppered because ideology and business do not often go hand in hand because business is usually about being pragmatic and solutions orientated ideology is something else it's like having a kind of it's like becoming a faith-driven country so the way that I look at it is the same as the rift of the reformation in the in the 16th century when Henry VIII divorced Catherine of Aragon I think it's the same level of rift that we have put our country through and that's all hundreds of years of turmoil and isolation for the UK and I think that Brexit should be seen in those in those same terms and what they did then was they had to very quickly look for other trading partners we are now stuck trying to scrabble as the lesser partner the smallest partner in any trade deal so the problem with our industry is not only is the supply chain fragmented we're not talking as one voice are we that is the issue and i know you've tried really hard to um to bring the industry together and to, to be the one voice talking to Parliament and talking in Parliament and having these difficult conversations. But there's where, there's no one place that the manufacturers, particularly like Clooney, can go to for to support for support and to be heard. And I also know when you've, you know, invited manufacturers to meetings at the House of Parliament. A lot of them, well, just for the very reason that they're very short-staffed or they've got other things going on, it's really hard to get them in there. Someone else has to represent them because they're too busy running their factories. And it's tough, isn't it? What do you think is the the solution to bring the industry back together again and get support for these manufacturers? I mean, my honest answer is I think there needs to be a whole new trade association for the sector that actually honestly represents it. It isn't so incumbent on membership um, funding so that it could represent all the different threads. I think it needs to look at the heritage brands and really understand um, the nature of the sector as it is. I think that we can all PR the industry to the high heavens, but ultimately I think it's a failure if someone like Clooney Lace closes or relocates. Um and it's a failure on all, on 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 the existing system because it clearly hasn't got the messaging right. So, I, you know, leveling up should be aligned with business. 
um, supporting um, skills should be also supporting these brands, which, you know, if you've run an industry, if you've run a business for nine generations, you can run it for 15 generations. So those kinds of brands should be supported because ultimately in the shifts to AI, in the shifts to digital and then and in the loss that will be incumbent on some jobs as we become more and more digital, those kind of technical, highly technical skills such as lace making as at that level, I just don't see those becoming digitized. So actually they're more of a long-term job option for somebody. And there is not, and also the other thing is that what Jenny Holloway always said about me was I never called being a garment worker low skilled. And I think it's because of my great grandmother that, um, that I would never call that low skilled. I think she was a very skilled woman. The skills that those people have, I've always respected it because I've always said to any policymaker, you try to make a suit and then tell me how easy you think that is. I think it's highly skilled and it's to be respected. And the problem is is that fast fashion, as it's called, um, has decimated the price point to to the point where people don't understand value. So there's so many different threads to the problems, but fundamentally in terms of the voice that the sector has, look, I mean, Fashion Roundtables have got no PR, but we've had over 2.2 billion media reach for the last two years without paying for thousands of pounds of PR and marketing. Do I think it's effective in terms of outcomes? On some things I do, but on some things I think that it's frustrating that I think that some some people who have got a certain degree of power would rather pretend that everything's okay rather than admit the truth and I think we need to talk about the truth if Clooney Lace clothes it that's to me as a failure of the British fashion and textiles industry yeah yeah I mean what do you think that they that Clooney Lace themselves should be doing right now and they should be speaking to their MP um and they should be asking for a meeting and they should be engaging with them to see whether or not there's any local council funding to stop gap them. And then I think they sh- the case should be made for these heritage brands because there is the Heritage Craft Association who Daniel from that has done a podcast with Meg from my team and is a lovely person. And he's got a list of the critical crafts on on their website um those kind of organizations need to come together i think that the actually hca are a fantastic organization they're very small i feel like a lot of people in policy have never worked in the sectors that they're purporting to create policies for and i think that um i noticed that when i launched fashion roundtable is that i understood from my side every aspect of the sector because I've worked in it for so many years, so I was passionate about it. So when I was at meetings talking about carnets and other people didn't really understand what a carnet was, I was like, well, let me tell you, if you've done them, you never want to do them again. And therein is your 180-page piece of documentation, which is just ridiculous. And the problem with policy is that they always want more evidence. They always want to understand more about a sector. But as you say, if businesses are so small, they haven't got the resources to enter into it. So without spending on it, you're not going to get the outcome. That's the bottom line. And I think that the problem is, is because these brands are struggling in the good times, they don't think they need it. And in the bad times, they can't afford it. Yeah, that's that's so true. And, you know, because with Clooney in particular, and a lot of these heritage brands, 
it's quite, it's not that easy for them to suddenly switch to another market. A lot of them are not that clued up on marketing. You know, it's part of the reason I did my trade show because they're, they've got the customers they've got. And why would I want any more? I'm quite happy with the ones I've got. But then if there's, those customers are cut overnight, finding new ones when your skill is in making stuff and not marketing can be tough. And like to lose 50% of your business. Is there an opportunity for them to open a factory in France? Because that would be a tragedy, I mean, wouldn't it? Moving all those would, Nottingham Levers lace machines. Yeah. But that's the reality is that I had a meeting with um, the department, the state, oh, whatever, the region of Normandy, um, just after Brexit. They were looking for business to come there. So, you know, this is the problem is that if you make it difficult, someone else finds it attractive. And I think that that is the point. You know, yesterday in the news, I'm in a campaign that we worked very heavily on was the VAT retail export scheme and the Daily Mail is now backing that. And apparently at a meeting with business leaders, the chair of Burberry um, had a pop at the prime minister because when he was chancellor, he unilaterally decided to end the VAT retail export scheme, which meant that the tourists coming here from outside of the EU uh, now is being charged VAT. And what's that's, what that's meant is the UK uh, tur- tourism is down because everyone does the numbers. Now, what I've argued is that we should have also given it to EU members to get their money so that they come here because obviously Brexit and COVID happened really simultaneously. So um, the impacts haven't really been were felt one-on-one. And on one hand, that's been very hard for us to get the data out of people of what the impacts of Brexit are versus, say, lockdown impacts. But ultimately, the impact of making it less attractive for a tourist to buy here means that guess what? They don't come here. And it's not just the expensive item that they might buy. It's the hotel that they'll stay in. It's the drinks. It's the theatre. It's the train tickets. It's all of it. And not everything they, they spend on is going to get that back on. It might be lunch at prep. So it has an impact on the whole microcosm of tourism. Um, so how do you make it attractive? You know, the incentive would be for, for Clooney either to give up or to relocate. And that's ridiculous. As you said with that footwear person, they're looking at a different strategy to produce because it's too problematic for them to produce it because the elements that go into the components. So I feel the trade associations have missed the opportunity to build in the infrastructure, which is what the fashion district should have been, um, of bringing in all the elements so that from design to delivery, it's all within a small corridor. Um, And I think that that that's a massive missed opportunity. And equally, I feel that it is their job to highlight the Clooney laces of this world, because these are not... This, I cannot imagine that happening in France. I just can't. No. And it's this. I know you also recently um, were looking into this, a similar situation in Wales, where I know we're not down to our very last Welsh uh, weaver, but it, there's still the, the industry there is still um, impacted. Um, you know, yeah, there's a handful of, of mills left, and uh, lots of them are. Uh, you know, not able to look at legacy. Um, they've got aging workforces, aging machinery, and 
you know, there's a myriad of different solutions, but none of them seem to really hit the nail on the head. And I think it's a very problematic situation because they become like theme parks rather than businesses. Oh, have you heard then? Daniel Harris from the London Cloth um, Company has actually just bought out a Welsh mill because he wanted to save it. And he is going to set up Loomland. He tried to run a crowdfunder for it. I'm not sure how it's gone, actually. Oh, I did um, not know that. To, yes, to actually have a weaving, because he's collected so many old so what, um, looms so over what, the like years. like Dollywood? Yes, but Loomland. <laughs> with, with, because he's tried to save all this old equipment every time he hears about a mill closing down he swoops in and saves all this old equipment because actually you know yes the 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 machines that Clooney are using are really old but that's how that's what makes their lace so special so some people might turn around and say well it's their fault they should have updated their machinery but actually it's it's the quality of the old machinery that gives them such a beautiful lace. It's like when I went to John Smedley, they've still got a lot of their very original old machines, which they're never going to give up. They've got them alongside the whole garment knitting machines, but they they have still kept the old machines because you can't get the, the knit that comes out of it. It looks very different to what comes out of the new machines. In fact, Ian that runs John Smedley said the Japanese are like, snapping at his heels trying to buy the machines off him because no one else makes them anymore and they it's like what happened with the denim the the looms that weave denim as well the selvedge denim we lost all those years years ago there's like a couple left in this country i think and all the rest went out to japan because japan somehow value the heritage don't they and understand we don't in this country i think this is what a lot of this boils down to this lack of respect for heritage and I, and I know AI and and that has all got a place, but you know, let's not forget there's still no robot that from start to finish can 100% make a beautiful dress. Where I think we're decades off that. We still need the skills. What do you think the trade associations should be doing? Like the British Fashion Council, I know they represent fashion, but a lot of they don't talk about where the clothes are made. And I know a manufacturer who stood at London Fashion Week with a placard saying, hang on a minute, let's not forget who made your clothes. Because behind every amazing fashion designer, there is an amazing and very skilled manufacturer or team of manufacturers that's putting those, those garments down the catwalk. And I think until manufacturing and design go hand in hand and respected equally, then I think we're always going to struggle there's a lot of elements of trying to become events organizations because that that's look like that's where the money is or um do policy because because quite frankly there was no policy reports done until i started doing them with fashion roundtable and now suddenly everyone's doing them um which begs the question why i think that I think that, to be honest with you, I think the trade association's core business should be promoting and supporting the sectors. And yes, that means helping them through these transitions, whether that's towards using less waste or circularity or regenerative or whatever these, or greater inclusion policies, whatever those things are, those are commendable. But their core business should be promoting that talent and showcasing that talent. And that means whether that's reflecting it back to 
government and saying, look, there's an amazing lace factory. It's the last of its kind. This is what the heritage was. I don't want to lose it. We don't need to lose it. What can we do? Because I think that's what the car industry would do. Um, and equally um, promoting it for, for sales. That's their job. They are not think tanks. They are associations for trade. And I think that these, particularly in the fashion industry, they've lost their way because they've tried to become think tanks because I guess what launched the first think tank for the fashion industry and now suddenly everyone's a think tank. Uh, And ultimately, that's not their job. Their core business should be, we have amazing talent coming out of the UK if it's the fashion side, but most of them don't last longer than 10 years. And on the textile side, we've got an aging population and demographic and a lack of follow through of how do we keep those into legacy into the next the next hundred years? How do we keep them going? What do we need to do? How do we get the support? How do we get awareness? How do we go from one lace factory back back up to five? How do we get the trade deal negotiated so that there's ease of market for those brands to get their product? Because actually sending it to France for dying and back shouldn't be that hard. That shouldn't be that hard. It's not that deep. It's simple. It's not going to five different countries. It's, it's, so those are the things. I think that that's their core business. Mm. And what are your plans with Fashion Roundtable going forward? So we are in negotiations with a different organisation, um, not a trade association, to work on our, our funding bids um, and our partnerships. I'm very much looking at kind of regenerative practice and how we can support those localised um, supply chains. Um, we've done a lot of work on wool, a lot of work on that that kind of heritage side and that localism story. I think it's really exciting. That's where I see us more. We're doing a meeting with the Parliamentary Labour Party um, next month uh, so that they can gain some insights from the sector. That's a Fashion Roundtable event that we're doing with them in partnership with Steph Peacock, who's the Shadow Culture Minister. And it's really because um, it's I see it as our job to make sure that all of the parties are engaged with what the issues are. And what do you think the government should be doing to I think there should be... Help, I th- well, help. I think it, the thing is, is the government can't be expected to know about Clooney Lace unless the trade associations are promoting Clooney Lace. So I don't entirely blame the government on this, actually. I think that, you know, they can't be alert to every critical um, Yeah. Well, it was because the guy... Issue. It was because Charles Mason, from who runs Clooney Lace, it was because he wrote... He felt compelled to write into the Financial Times about their situation thought I think people should be aware of what's happening and that's how the BBC then picked up on it and in fact so I I think you know if if the CEO of Clooney Lace wants to have a meeting and then we talk out a strategy but you know he has to it's the time element and probably he hasn't got any time if he's trying to keep his business going down to four people they had 20 just a few years ago they were doing very well up until 2016 2017 and now they're down to four he said if we lose one more we can't carry on anymore. No, that's a lot of pressure. And I, I've forgotten about, I'd forgotten about the rope company and that we lost that a couple of years ago. That's tragic. Yeah, these things are, these things are lost and then they don't come back and then they become no. a prep and then you kind of forget what was there before and you just go, oh, yeah, oh, do you remember when? And you remember then when it's gone. Lace once in, it's gone, it's yeah. gone. 
So I think that I think that if if it was me, I would be getting in touch with the Heritage Craft Association, seeing if they can get them some support and some. Uh, the king is the trust is the president of that organisation, um, and they should be speaking to the local MP about what can be done to help them in the short term whilst they look at longer term. So short term MP try and get some local council cash injection. Mid term, mm. what what does survival look like? Long term, where do they need to grow the business? Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope just on the back of the fact that so many people have raised, you know, have raised their hands to say, I didn't know that, you know, about this and how can we save them? And a lot of designers saying on my Instagram post, I'm going to definitely order from them now. Maybe there'll be a bit of a Clooney Lace revival. Suddenly we'll see every designer using Clooney Lace, hopefully going forward. That's what needs to happen. And ideally the stuff that's... Ideally, the colours that don't have to go to France. Apparently, they can do black, white and cream. Hasn't got to go anywhere near France. So if you want to order Clooney so, Lace. I mean, you yeah. know, the thing as well is this, that handmade, beautiful lace is a world of difference from that shoddy uh, yeah. manufactured from a certain country in, the, in yeah. a, a different side time zone lace. You know, mm. like it's horrible. You can't compare. It's magic. Yeah. Absolute magic. What what do you think should happen, Kate? What do you think would be the best outcome? Um, I mean, I I'm a bit cynical. I suppose I think I don't know whether the trade associations, the government, will get their acts together. And I think I always think it's better from the kind of ground up. It's going to be small businesses supporting other small businesses. Like if I can raise awareness about it, which means that a hundred more designers find out about Clooney Lace and order from them and actually buy from them. So they don't feel they have to put their hand out for support because, you know, they've found new business elsewhere. Then I think that's what we need to do. Cause I, I get frustrated. I mean, part of the reason I was frustrated working for like Marks and Spencer's in corporate for years was how slowly everything moves. And of course the government is even slower and any, any, you know, I remember the whole PPE saga that we worked on together during lockdown and how slow everything moved when it needed to happen really, really fast. And I just think I'm I'm fed up with waiting for people to wait for these associations to do anything and we're better off. I don't from think the you can rely up. on these associations no. until they get their core business straight. And unfortunately, at the moment, I think they've seen um, Fashion Roundtable as a threat to their core business, to their identity when I never was because I was simply launching a think tank to create policy and and non-partisan apolitical evidence. That's not a threat to an association on any level. But unfortunately, if they're stepping into that space, they're avoiding what I believe is their core business, which is looking after and, and promoting the brands. And I think that's their issue rather than my issue and therefore no I don't think the guy from Clooney Lace can wait for them to fix the problem but that's why he's got to take the law into his own hands I think when the dust settles stakeholders need to understand as they have with CBI is this an organization that represents their needs and if it isn't what are they going to do about it yeah Tamara, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. How can everyone get in touch with you, find out how they can get involved? Tell us. Well, unoriginally, everything's pretty much Fashion Roundtable. We don't have TikTok, but that's it on Instagram. Uh, 
Facebook, LinkedIn, and then on Twitter, it's just Fashion Round Tab because there's not enough characters to get the <laughs> LA in. Um, and if you go on the website, you can sign up to our newsletter, which goes out every Tuesday and is always packed with interesting content. Brilliant. Amazing. Tamara, you've been a superstar. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Happy to promote heritage culture. It is our culture and we shouldn't lose it so quickly and easily, I think. Thank you, Kate.